And Sam Rami said, well, we're doing a remake. Do you want to do you want to direct it? And then obviously uh-huh. he came in his pants and said, yes. Oh, Hello and welcome everybody to the 50th episode celebration of the M-Pod on our 52nd episode because we didn't know it was at the time. (laughs) (laughs) With me as always is Tim. How do you feel about that mate? We've done 50 dot 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 two episodes. It's great. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know they've been spread over quite a considerable amount of time, but to me, that just makes it more special. That's true. It all started with the pandemic, and here we are. Scarcity is indeed what makes something precious. That's right. And I am very precious about certain things. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. So today, we are going to be doing a doubleheader film discussion or breakdown or whatever you want to call it and we're going to be doing infinity pool and we're going to be doing evil dead rises but before we get on to all that exciting stuff i just want to ask you very politely please follow us please subscribe please like and share and all that sort of stuff believe me guys we need you to do it because it's the only way it's going to grow and i look at our retention and all that audience and all that sort of stuff almost exclusively new people each time, which then makes it kind of ironic because then what use are the subscribers if they want to it anyway? But that's what's going to get us better exposure. I won't dwell on that any longer, but I'll also say we've got a Twitter account, which is the end underscore pod, and we have an Instagram, which is almost on 100 now, Tim, we're up to 92. That ah, is right. Yeah, what, what have you been up to, mate? What do you want to tell us before we get stuck in? Uh, you know, I've been watching some basketball. Uh, I don't really have much to say about it. We're pretty early still in the, in the first round of the playoffs. I do feel a little traumatized, though, because the movies we watched for this episode were pretty fucking depraved. And yeah. so, <laughs> and I watched them all in the last two days. I watched both of them in the last two days. In fact, I watched Infinity Pool last night, and I did not sleep well. Then when I was watching Infinity Pool, I was like, if there was ever an end pod film for us to talk about is this when i was watching it i was like this is the kind of pretentious shit that we <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> but what are the themes tim <laughs> would you say <laughs> would, you, would you say this is some kind of faustian deal with the devil <laughs> <laughs> as i was typing down my notes i was just like fuck you know this is right up our street but was it in enjoyment levels well we're about to find out infinity pool was the third release from brandon cronenberg it stars Mia, Gypsy, Mello, De Silva, Goth, and Alexander Skarsgård, of course, who is a supporting cast, but really, they don't get touched on too much, do they? They're almost like the, the non-playable characters in a computer game. Mm-hmm. So what were your first thoughts, Tim? Did you enjoy this one? I did. However, I thought it was more of an intellectual exercise than it was like a movie to be enjoyed. There are certain parts of it that I found pretty fun to watch. But overall, I think it's Cronenberg working out some stuff uh, of his own. And I thought it was a layered thought exercise. So I did like it. I think it, it tries to do too much. It mixes its metaphors. Mm. Is this an allegory for the film industry, as you said? 
Um, yeah. In the way that John Favreau did that chef one, didn't he? Whatever that was yeah. called about, you know, the the way that Iron Man two went. Is it a satirical swipe at the bourgeoisie? Or is it that mm -hmm. on the nose inspection of how people treat countries when they go abroad? Or is it yep, yep. the id, the ego, the super ego inspection of, like I said, the best way I can think about describing it is it's just completely mixing his metaphors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll give a brief introduction to what the film is. Yeah. Sorry. I yeah, always yeah. forget that part for people that may not have seen it, but want to hear what we've got to say about it. Alexander Skarsgård is on holiday with his maybe spouse. I don't know, were they married, Tim? They're married. They're married. And they discover, you know, they're holiday friends. And they say, we're going to this nice secluded beach tomorrow. Would you like to join us? So on the way back, there is an event, a calamitous event, that puts them in hot water with the local police. Now, obviously, it's this, it's in the way that Top Gun Maverick never truly tells you which country it's in, for diplomacy. <laughs> This never really names any specific country. Could be South America or it's somewhere in the Balkans. Could even be like Central America, really. Yeah. Like the Caribbean or something. Mexico. Without me just listing countries where people can go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like, fuck's sake, will this guy get on with it? Yeah, we get it, mate. Tell us about yeah. the film. <laughs> And he's taken to this like really shithole prison. They're obviously panicking, banged up abroad. Am I going to be here forever? And they give him an option. For any crime, it's capital punishment. And it's exacted by the family of the person that you've committed the crime against. In this case, it was an automobile accident that ends in the death of a local farmer. Farmer's son has to exact their revenge. And, however, <laughs> and, and, however, Alexander... Garsgard's character is given the option of paying for a doppelganger to be genetically engineered for the little boy to have something to kill. It's a golem mm -hmm. of the person that commits the crime. Then it just spins out of control, Tim. Let me add two things. One is Skarsgård's character. He's a, a, a writer, a novelist who has one novel published and has been working for six years on a follow-up and it's kind of has writer's block. So that's one of the motivations for going to this retreat is to sort of like break that block. And I think that plays into this struggling artist or an artist trying to find their muse, if you will, does play thematically going forward. And the second thing is on the doppelganger, it's a perfect replica. So it not only looks perfect exactly replica. like that person, yeah, it has the original person's psychology memories everything so it is a literal clone and at that point there's almost a bait and switch whereby it goes from a thriller being quite a fast-paced yep. thriller to this high concept sci-fi yep. horror it reminds me of something that maybe alex patnadel would write independently i had that jg ballard's dystopian modernity another thing we should maybe say is that one of the motivating factors for the plot spinning out of control is Alexander Skarsgård's reaction to the murder of his doppelganger. So one of the little twists here is that when he pays for the double to be created, one of the conditions is that he and his wife have to be present for the execution, for the revenge yes. killing. And she is, of course, horrified because it's, in her view, a person that looks exactly like her husband. However, he is titillated by it. He has a little smile on his face. The motivating factors for it spinning out of control are his. The other folks, like Mia Goth's character, kind of prey upon that and walk him into the spiral. And it combines science fiction with almost like a magic realism. Like there's mm -hmm. some 
psychedelic orgies like it's a very sexually motivated film because he's lusting after Mia Goth's character uh Gabby Gabby yeah Gabby and the way that the orgy scene was shot was a lot like some of the scenes in Possessor very abstract that Argento use of color with filters and sort of Dutch angles and and the way that some of the characters were in the traditional way, you'd want two talking heads to be at almost one third points of the shoot. But you have someone that's facing the narrow side almost at three quarters of the way across. The whole thing shot in a very awkward way. The camera lists consistently as if it's off kilter slightly. It does give you a lot of pause for thought. Ultimately, as a film, it's kind of narratively lacking because it doesn't nail down one thing or the other. Question over question over theme over theme. I mentioned a few earlier, I've got a list of five or six things that you could adeptly make an argument for. The J.G. Ballard dystopian modernity, science fiction against magical realism, the bait and switch of Garsgård, and, and as well the expectations of what he is as an actor. He's become this very big brute force man in something like the Northman. So you're mm-hmm. used to his characterizations actually having that agency. When in actual fact, he is the meek, almost yeah. visually, there's a bait and switch with Skarsgård. Everybody is their own double, like the satirical swiper, the bourgeoisie, the id, the ego, the super ego, the way that everybody wears masks. Commentary on the way that modern tourism works. People take off those masks when they go away. They're freer, they allow themselves to just show who they truly are. Yeah. And then again, you still have that Faustian deals with the devil, he wished to have belonging because his book didn't work. And really it was a Nepo book deal anyway, because his wife's father was incredibly rich. So exactly. he really wanted to find belonging in the way that they set him up really ad- adequately, which is something that you touched on was they said, we loved your book. And his yep. wife says, oh, you finally found your fan club. Yep. Um, but then in the way that, that he found belonging, he ended up simply belonging to those people completely just no yeah please no and i'm just saying when you layer that amount to consider one on top of the other it's not confusing because none of it was really illicit one of the things brandon cronenberg likes to do is he knows what inverted commas the thing is and he tells individual actors how they play into it but it's never truly spoken in into the script. Yeah, and one thing to point out is that as the movie continues on past the point at which the eldest son of the farmer who's killed kills um, James, so it's the Skarsgård character is named James. James is a double, and James falls in with his wife, M, basically leaves him because he's gone down a rabbit hole with these people. And so she leaves, and so he's left to his own devices left to fall in with these people that he that are in fact to him like friends but in fact bad actors one of the interesting things at that point is that he really gives in to his bloodlust at that point and it does dovetail with what you're saying about on, on how on vacation you are who you are like you have the opportunity to be who you are mm. the whole time when he's like a nice writer and standoffish with people that's the fake him that's him trying to constrain his real personality which yeah. is ultimately yeah. like born out in his lust for torture and killing ultimately and he ends up through a series of machinations killing himself so they they continually produce yeah. doubles in some cases he doesn't know so he thinks it's like the cop who busted him and he has like a a hood over his head so james thinks that he's going to kill the cop who 
busts him and he fucks this guy up and they take the mask off and it's his double. Well, he doesn't even know that at that point. They're just saying we're going to break in and steal some of his shit, some police thing of valued, specific personal value to him. I can't remember what it was to sort of get one over, to have one over the police chief for being such a prick. And then they pull him out. So not only has he been tricked into killing himself, he was tricked at even entering that agreement in the first instance. But he embraces it completely. Oh, he, he loves does, it. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Until he finds out that he's the butt of the joke and he's just killed himself, mm. which is fascinating. And then there are other points at which the same thing happens. We don't have to go through all of them, but there there's several additional points at which that happens. And one of the interesting ones is towards the end of the movie where Gabby brings out a James on a leash, like acting like a dog. Remember that part? She's like, you got to kill this dog to complete your transformation. I think she calls it. Mm-hmm. And he's reluctant. He won't do it. And then she like lets the the James dog loose. It's not like he's an actual hybrid, but he acts like an animal, like a rabid animal. Yeah, yeah. And he goes after the real James. Well, or at least the James that we think is real. And the James character kills the dog, beating him to death. Oh, and that's yeah, when he yeah, yeah. yeah, completes his transformation right after that. Like she comes up to him and she had been mocking him and berating him the whole time. And now that he's completed his transformation she comes up to him as like a mother figure and takes out her breasts and starts breastfeeding him yeah yeah it's almost as if he's reborn right like the transformation is a rebirth and he's now an infant Mm. a blank slate if you will did you think that side of things was salacious or do you think that it was in keeping i actually thought that was pretty effective i I liked it um it's weird, certainly, but I thought it would. I thought it made sense. It's definitely like depraved. Like I said, like there's so many depraved things in this. Like an adult man breastfeeding off of like a woman, but um, I thought it was in keeping with the themes. I I kind of liked it. There was the the technical orgy as well, wasn't there? Uh huh. I liked the way that it didn't subjugate the women in in it. Like it was all very. I wouldn't say consenting because that makes it seem like too cold. But everyone that is very aware of that, their exploration of everybody around them. Because totally. you, you think to start with, it's it's James and Gabby, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then as this disorientating use of color filters and the way that the camera moves, you, the first person you see is one of the other guys in this sort of like cabal, just frantically wanking at the end of the bed. And totally. Then, totally. And again, that's kind of like a bait and switch because I'm just sat there going, Jesus Christ, Mia Goth's tits are amazing. Like, literally, <laughs> I'm just sitting there going, they are fucking... Inc-. Like, I'm thinking, I did not... I did not think she had it in her. Still, <laughs> 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 like, drawn into this, like, sexualization of an actress. But then it flips to the next shot, and you're watching a man frantically wanking at the end. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's yeah. really fucking giving it to me. It's like he's got pistons in his arms, like... Well, he's like a stand-in for us, you know? Yes, like, yes. It's an, it's an indictment of the audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not without its moments. <laughs> totally, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. It, it is not without its moments. You know, the interesting thing, too, about that psychedelic sex orgy scene is that throughout the movie, Cronenberg, he mutes all the colors. It's very interesting he does that. It's like a cold color palette, which is interesting yeah, 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 to yeah. juxtapose against like what is supposed to be the beautiful landscape right it's like it's some like tropical island ostensibly should be like gorgeous and imbued with all sorts of color the only time we really get any color is during these psychedelic scenes 
And on that sort of technical aptitude, I know we've spoken about scores in the past, but I want to know Tim Hecker because uh, I've listened to a couple of his albums in passing and I really enjoyed them. He has this kind of instrumental, electronic, industrial, but no less melodic approach, kind of like how I imagine if some of the great composers were around today and they had the tools at their disposal. When you tie that into the J.G. Ballard themes, this score fits at least some of the proposed themes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, now that we're talking about it, I maybe like it a little bit more. Although, again, I don't think it's like fun to watch necessarily. It's not like an enjoyable film. It's It's not, but it's not Mother either. No, 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 completely. Yeah. Yeah. I find that happens quite a lot when we have these talks that... One of us will be a little bit cold on it. It's probably usually me because I'm a Mardi <laughs> Miserable fucker. Or maybe that's why people aren't listening to the podcast because of my cursing. Maybe Spotify's not sharing it with people because of my potty mouth. Oh. No way. Yeah. Well, yeah, because if it's explicit. Really? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Like on, on YouTube, if you swear, I think, in the first 30 seconds, then you get demonetized. Oh, wow. Effectively shadow block that video. The last thing that I have to ask you, Tim, mm-hmm. we loved Mia Goff in Pearl and X. How do you think she shapes up by comparison in this film? Oh, I think she's tremendous. The acting in this for the two leads is great. They're both excellent. And she is, she has such range, ultimately. She's excellent in this film. I, I loved her. I thought she was tremendous. I thought she overacted a little bit at the very, very end because she becomes maniacal, whereas I thought she was more, maybe it was in direction, but when she's screaming at On the car? Yeah. She felt like she was very much in control of the situation. And then, like I said, it was almost maniacal. And what I noticed is when you have a large mouth, you can change almost entirely physically by just exposing more of your teeth. (laughs) Mm-hmm. She has got some chops, mate, I tell you. <laughs> Proper chops. And not yeah. just acting chops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought I liked her in this a lot. It's difficult, too, because like you said, you have these role-playing characters that are just secondary to the, to the film, and you have these two principles that are carrying the entire thing. And it's it's a complicated balance because mm. the, the film is itself complicated. So I think it takes like some some serious skill to carry it off. It looked great though, didn't it? I think if there's one thing that I'm, that I'm not uncertain about, it was was a delight in filmmaking. Would you send someone to see it? No. No, I don't think I would either. If I recommended this to people, I'd feel responsible for them going, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think I would send somebody to see infinity pool but i wouldn't dissuade them like if they were interested in seeing it i certainly would not be like you don't see that like i would i'd discuss it with people but i wouldn't like i wouldn't recommend it i don't think yeah that's exactly yeah i'd like if someone was going to watch it i'd be okay i'm interested to know what you think afterwards yeah you know i wouldn't send i wouldn't try and change anybody's mind yeah totally well talking about something that we did go and see at the cinema tim and that's Evil Dead Rise. And this is from Lee Cronin, and it's the most recent adaptation of Sam Raimi's groundbreaking 
and restarting the evil debt. And then, of course, there was the reboot in 2013, and there was Ash versus the Evil Dead on Netflix or whichever platform it originally came from. So I think it's a good place to start saying I haven't seen these until one of my neighbours, my friend that was a neighbour, you know, like a summer holidays friend that you wouldn't really see for the rest of the year. Not yeah. really, when school was going on. And he used to be really into horror. So I'd have been like 10, 10 years old or whatever. And he'd always think it was fun to try and get me to watch them. Not like in a malicious way, but he was like, look, if you keep watching it, then you'll get used to it and then we can watch them together sort of thing. I, I, I didn't like him. But I always remember those films as being some of the most shocking. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say I was... Well, let's put it this way. When I saw the first trailer, I was like, dang, this looks good. Shit, yeah. we're going to have to do it on the podcast and I'm going to have to be frightened in public. <laughs> totally. I was like so, really nervous going in. Yeah, I was. I was, mate. I was. Because it was horrifying, wasn't it? I only saw the yeah. first one as well, like the bath sequence. Oh, my God. Terrible. Terrible. What Were you frightened when you were watching it? Interestingly, I thought it gets less scary over time. It starts at like a 10 and then it it drops down in terms of like, I don't know if you're inoculated to it, but it becomes campier. But there are points at which I was very scared. Like the first scene with the girl when she gets scalped and that oh. fucking like, damn, dude, we are in this. Yeah. I was terrified at that. Did it immediately take you back to Terrifier too? Yeah, totally. Again, it was a sequence that was completely in daylight. Yep. And I'll tell you what, without skipping to the end straight away, but I forgot about that sequence completely when the, because it says two days earlier, doesn't it? After that sequence. Oh my God. When the deadite levitates out of the water and then it goes, evil dead rises. That is one of the best title cards I have ever seen. Yeah, it was amazing. So effective. And it's scary, isn't it, as well? That slow path up. Fucking creepy. When the Jessica character, the one who possessed one, as her friend uh, or her cousin or whatever, is reading Wuthering Heights, and she's reciting it from the bed, all in that creepy-ass voice, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it through this movie. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's nothing, like, cross-legged at the the near edge of the bed. It's just weird, isn't it? It's it's just such a unfamiliar positioning and then she closes it and she continues the story and she's like stop it you're scaring me why don't you come over here (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was sat there at the whole row i was the person in the middle there's nobody on my row i was holding the arms of the seats pushing back in my my arms out wide full wingspan holding the adjacent arms covering my face gasping looking through my eyes I kept looking around to see if I was the only person not doing it, but like I was audibly gasping at times. (laughs) Yeah, oh, totally. Should we describe briefly the plot points? There is, oh God, here we go. Who Lily Sullivan, who plays Beth, she is a sound engineer for grungy, like rock punk bands. And she discovers that she is with child. So she panics. And she travels back to see her sister, who is Alyssa Sutherland. And she's the mother of three children, two kind of teenagers and one really young little girl. As you can imagine, the Necronomicon is discovered, releases all kinds of hell. And then we have an Evil Dead film. There's an earthquake, which opens up this chamber in this their apartment building. 
it used to be a bank and there was this hidden yeah. vault, a uh, subterranean vault. Yep, yep. And they discover the Neonomicon there and some records. And this kid is an aspiring DJ, so he takes the records and the book, which he thinks might be worth some money. And he knows that they're struggling because their dad left. So he thinks maybe he can sell it. Then he plays these records, which is a chant that basically draws this demon to them. And that's when the mom gets infected with this uh, evil. I thought at that point, like I said earlier, I think it starts very scary. All the possession stuff. When she's in the bathtub and she's like climbs the ceiling and starts screaming at them. That was like really, really frightening. It becomes more of a blood fest. Going back to the record, that was actually Bruce Campbell. He was the priest. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. On the blood, there was six... 1,500 litres of blood juice in the filming. I believe it. <laughs> Six and a half tonnes of fake blood. That's crazy. Uh, what I really liked about the, the opening, okay, not the opening scene, but on the on the main arc of the story, what I liked about it was its patience setting up each of the characters. They weren't disposable aspiring actors. They've actually mm-hmm. cast people that are good actors. And it's amazing how much more you care for those characters when they're not just having their throats cut by a machete because they've gone to fuck in the bushes. Developed, fully rendered characters with foibles, with weaknesses, <clears throat> with strengths. Again, we've talked about child actors in the past. These mm-hmm. were brilliant. And they didn't do the, this is why dad left us. I hate you. I'm not going to do that. Who the fuck are you? You're never here. You turn up. None of that shit. They're all nice kids. They all want to do well. Again, they've all got their faults. And it really sets a quintet of characters that you are invested in immediately. Yeah, completely. This is what I have named like a boxed horror in the past, whether or not that sticks or not is another thing, whereby... Cabin in the Woods did it really well. When they tried to escape Cabin in the Woods, they literally hit a physical barrier. Yeah. So, which was displaying the metaphysical trope of an inescapable situation. It was really clever the way they used the earthquake and the way they exposed the Necronomicon. But it also set how they were trapped in the top floor of an apartment building. With one small Mm -hmm. caveat, it was being... What's the word? was being condemned. Condemned him. Yeah. Condemned. yeah. Demolished. It was being demolished. Imminently. It was believable. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, well, why don't you just... The only... I think the only time I thought, like, why don't you make one of those, like, bedsheet things and try and climb outside? Climb right, down the wall right. sort of thing. But they were on the top floor as well. So, I mean, that would take some balls, wouldn't it? Totally. And, it, and there's supposed to be a fire escape, but they have to break into another apartment, which is unoccupied, to get there. And to do yeah, that, they got to go in the hallway where where fucking demon mom is. The whole peephole thing, the eye hole in the door was like very creepy. Brilliant, wasn't it? it was yeah, it was great. Like you said, the way the film switched, I think that was one of its strengths. It took out a little bit of the like attrition of familiarity. With the conflict was familial, and then it went to sort of psychological. And then, of course, it escalated to the physical. So there was this yeah, clear yeah. progression. And what I like about the Deadites... They seem to have a base level intelligence. They're not animalistic entity responding to stimulus. Yeah, like there's totally. actually, it seems like there is actually self-awareness there. 
and that poses different problems because you can set traps and you can provide escapes, but you still have to be ahead of one of the deadites. Yeah, fully, fully. Largely just a horror movie out to get scares, but there are some kind of interesting themes going on. One thing I, I noticed on that count is that it's significant that Beth, the fact that she's pregnant is meaningful, yeah, both in the plot, but also just thematically, because one of the things when she shows up and she's anxious that she's pregnant and needs to go back to her sister and like try to figure this out, sis turns into a deadite. And the first thing that she says is she expresses her resentment towards her kids. And I think one of the universal fears of parents-to-be is that you'll resent your children because you're now giving up your previous life. That's true of a lot of people. Her coming there panicked, uh, pregnant, and then the sister saying, like, I finally free of you titty-sucking parasites. I think it really emphasizes that parental fear. Yeah, even the effects of the Necronomicon is you are pregnant with evil. Imagine something growing inside you that is unwanted or unexpected. And at the very least, it is creating an overwhelming anxiety to that to that character, Beth. And again, mm-hmm. you're talking about bodies being taken over. That's what the film is. And it relates back to them having a shitty mum as well, wayward or absent. I won't say analysis of it, but there's definitely maternal themes that run through the film. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. What did you think of the comedic elements? Did you find it funny at all? No, not at all. I didn't either. The point where the sister bites the eyeball out of the kid and then spits it at the other kid and they chokes on it. I thought that was supposed to be funny, but it just seemed so out of place to me. It was like, what kind of movie is this? It's meant to play on the earlier films, which do have an explicitly comedic element to them, the Bruce Campbell movies. This one was like far too serious. It took me out of the movie briefly that that... That those attempts, I didn't like that at all. They finally escape. They're in the lift, and the lift doors are just slamming shut and slamming shut. And you think it's it's something that's done for effect to just make it seem more spooky that the doors are slamming shut and opening, slamming shut, slamming shut. I mean that that in itself is a very uneasy thing to continuously hear. So they're in there and they're, they're smashing the buttons, and it's that classic. The monster, the bad guys running towards it, running towards it. (laughs) It's equally as fitting in a John Wick film. And then the little girl just looks down and there's just keys stopping the doors from closing. So she picks up this keyring full of keys, boom, it closes. And then it's still not moving, is it? So they look up and they can get out of the hatch, can't they? But then it starts filling with blood. That was an incredible sequence. What did they, what did she do? Did she shoot the cable? I don't know how that happened, but I mean, it plummets to the, to plummets, the basement. Yeah. yeah. And ironically, the blood is probably the thing that saved them. Yeah. Right. Right. It provided buoyancy for the impact. Yeah, totally. And then the doors opened and it was that very... Uh, it was very shining-like at that point. That's it. Yeah. I, I was about to say Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> I was like having this inner argument with me. Go on, say it. You've you set it up now. You need a film. I'm like, well, can't I just say the one that it was? No, we don't know what that is yet. <laughs> <laughs> just say Schindler. Oh, oh god, Tim's got it. <laughs> Tim's got it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that scene that was very much like Schindler's List and The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that whole car park sequence was very nerve-wracking. It was yeah, really good. And they become this insane tripartite monster, the mm. three of them. And that pays off because, like you were saying earlier, they set up 
the initial pre-possession where those characters, you get to know them and care about them. And so when they're in that state, when you finally determine their fates are determined, it's all the more sort of like harrowing and horrific. The brutal scenes is work right, just the right amount. A knife through the arm or when the tattoo gun drapes across the face, it's used as like a sharp instrument to, to open yeah. up the face. Enough wincing, enough ooh moments. And the quiet moments were well-timed. The sense of capture and release, the ebb and flow. And the 90-minute length, chef's kiss. That's all we need. Totally. Another yep. one that we've seen this year that we both really like, 65 Again, that's all you need. Yeah. I think this one was probably a shorter time because it was originally made for a Discovery HBO Max and it was supposed to be a TV special, but the screen test went so well mm. and the budget was 15 million. I think the Friday night it had 20 million worldwide, 10 domestic, 10 worldwide. And I'd be very surprised if the Saturday doesn't exceed that. There are a bunch of people when I saw it, like Friday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the different screen times because I was working and it was very much when I'd finished what I had to do, I would then see when the next available screen was. And each time I was doing that to see if I could finish it, very few seats left. But um, admittedly, they were in the, the smaller ones, say maybe. Um, <coughs> you know, like the, say like 20, maybe 20 wide and 30 deep screens. Mm-hmm. It's the one that I went on in last night. It was huge and it was a little bit sparse. But in honesty, yeah. that's one of the worst cinemas I've ever been to. Absolute shit up. The screen wasn't big enough for the for the amount of seats. Like they tapered it. Like the room was tapered. So yeah. it got wider and wider, but yet the screen then just looked poxy. Yeah. So I had to also what I don't like is when they're narrow auditoriums like that, they raise the screen. Mm-hmm. So what I really want is to be sat eye level with the bottom of it, but to be close enough so my peripheral vision is almost the, the edge of the screen. Like I like sure. to be swallowed by the experience. Like I want to feel yeah, like yeah. I could just lean into it a little bit. But when yeah. they're when they're so narrow, it's so high up, and then you have to sit further back to get your eye level towards like the bottom foot of it, or well, at least for me. But then because it tapers, that the screen just looks so small. Yeah, really crap, 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 hmm. crap. What did you think of the overall experience? Do you think it was a well-made film? I do. Real nice practical effects. Truly sick in all the right ways. Very scary in certain ways. Very professionally done. And I thought the acting was like pretty good. Especially when you think Lee Cronin isn't a experienced director at all. I mean, he's done a couple of shorts that, uh, again, he did at Sundance in 2019 before the pandemic and he bumped into Sam Rami who said oh we like to short and he said fuck me like I am I love love the evil dead I watched the evil dead 2 when I was eight years old it blows my mind speaking to that I mean I weren't there like I'm acting like I was there Tim I was not there <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you like I'm giving you secondhand third person information here. Sure. <laughs> like it's it's extremely anecdotal at this point. I don't want to propose that I have any kind of relationship with the young man. Hmm. Is he is he young? I don't know. He's a man. I mean, he might be a man. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> I mean, you can't forget anything <laughs> these days, can you? He's a nice human. There we go. <laughs> so and Sam Rami said, Well, we're doing a remake. Do you wanna do you wanna direct it? And then obviously uh -huh. he came in his pants and said yes. Oh, uh, going doubling back to uh, what you said about the actual aesthetic, it's just lazy now for these big studios to be using exclusively CGI. 
when you look at this, the, the practical effects that are there, the little touch-ups. Um, who was the main character again? Sorry, Jeff. Ellie, the older sister. Oh, okay. She, Ellie, and when she, I mean, how good was her acting, though, as the general like contortion and the way that she delivered the lines? I think that's where right. the, the, the comedy comes into it, because it's the vindictiveness of the lines and the way they're delivered. When something is intentionally for the and exclusively for the purpose of cruelty, there is a certain humour to that. She was brilliant, but when she was in uh, the Deadite, the way that it was practical, but they just touched it up a little bit with the CGI. Yeah, you know what I mean, just a little bit, just to get that, like that extra twinkle in the eye, or the or the little extension of the mouth. To really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I I really like this one, Tim. I really. Like I do too, and I would definitely send someone to see this. Like, this was a lot of fun to watch. A hundred percent. It gives you enough. It feels like they're inviting you in the world, but I bet this. Evil Dead fans, I bet there's a lot more in this for them as well. I didn't feel like I should have watched all the films leading up to it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It's inviting to like a newbie, but you can see that there's layers for the fans Let's, to appreciate. The, I mean, they'll have to make a second film now, won't they? Or a fifth one, would it be? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I would love, I would, I'd be excited for another one too. I, I mean, I'd be pumped. Well, yeah. This yeah. was kind of like the first, a recall of Halloween, wasn't it? Yeah. I tell you another film that this bore similarities to, to me. Afterwards, I thought, am I mad? But is there a sort of, a little bit like, who's one of my favourite directors, fellow, that did Blue Ruin? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, Blue Ruin. Jeremy Saulnier. Do you think that there is, not thematic, but the the timing and the staging of this. It reminded me a lot of Jeremy Saulnier's Green Room. Oh, man. Yeah. There's a certain claustrophobia to it. Yeah. 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 yeah that movie is excellent, by the way. Oh, so good. Have we talked about oh, I love that. Have you seen Blue Ruin? No. It's incredible. It's incredible. I was fortunate enough to just press play on it and not know anything about it. And that's how I'd only want anybody else to watch it as well. Okay. But it's Ooh, it's it's a masterpiece. I gotta watch that. I have one final question for you, Tim, and then yeah. obviously you'll have the opportunity to ask me anything. And I'll try and answer you as openly as honestly as I possibly can. All right. But when that lady, when the the loop is closed at the very final scene, and she was possessed by the <laughs> Necronomicon, right? There was no way that that car doesn't get pulled over driving to a cabin, even if it's just on the opposite side of the street. A demon's driving skills are not going to adhere to the highway code. There is no yeah. way that that car gets from A to B. It just does not. Maybe she drives with her boyfriend. Remember it says like the boyfriend gave her a clonopin because she's acting all fucking weird? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's possible. But yeah, there's no way that... You can tell from, like, in the movie... I forget now. It's not Beth. It's the other one. Abby? Ellie? Abby. Ellie. Abby. Ellie. She can barely walk in a straight line. There's no way a possessed person could drive. Either it's a hole in the plot or the boyfriend drove her and gave her or, a clonopin. In the so car. you're saying that she was both physically and metaphysically backseated? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, smart demons. They saw the problem. They solved the problem. If I take control at this stage, we're all fucked. So I'm just going <laughs> to let right. you... Yeah, I'm just going to let you know, it's probably your last 
You might want to drive slow and make the most of it. <laughs> I, I can't kill my host. Do you like that they were restrained in the fact they didn't use sex as a weapon? Yeah, you know, actually, I didn't really, really think about that. Because that's quite a common trope, because it's the easiest one to make people wince. Right, right. Yeah, I think they headed that off by the the primary plot revolves around this family. And it would have been, like, fucking weird and creepy if the mother, right, had been had sexualized, like, the kids. No, but that that's what I mean, like, though. Let's say it would be shocking, but I would not have been shocked if something like that did happen. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have been, yeah, kind of appalled by that. Not, like morally appalled but kind of shocked but also not shocked like you say the house by the lake scene as well there was nothing overtly sexual in that either yeah right i always think of the exorcist scene where she's wanking with the crucifix Mm -hmm. that was always a scene that was considered i mean if you think about the age that that was in as well that was seen widely as the steps too far in that film from what I've read anyway. Because if you think as well, the Monty Python peoples, Michael Palin, and they were on a talk show having to justify the life of Brian. Mm. They were fucking excommunicado for a long while oh, after. Really? And that's when The Exorcist came out, wasn't it? Like around that sort of period. So you like think mid-70s. about it. It's good to see that this still thing is considered not taboo, but unnecessarily put in. I mean, I suppose really we've come out the other side of torture porn, like Saw and... Final Destination. Yeah. Hostile. Oh, God, that one was fucking... That was, I think that was probably the worst one. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it is. But it was something perversely satisfying, though, at the same time. Talk completely, yeah, absolutely. It's gross, but I do want to watch. I know, yeah. I think the problem with it is, is it was adequately, not just for a catchy slogan, but it was torture porn, because it was always sexy young women. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the problem with that era. We threw it. We saw it through, Tim. We did what we could at the time. That's right. We came through it stronger and never more in love. (laughs) 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 Right, should we cut it off there, mate? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, at least I think this is one of those episodes where it's going to be a quick edit because I'll be able to to take out whole chunks of me not knowing what to say. (laughs) (laughs) I was so confused. I mean, I found my feet eventually. but Yeah. (laughs) I had a great time on these two. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. It's funny how much horror we're doing though, isn't it? Still. I know. Yeah. Still. It's our main thing. I'm thinking back to like our top 20s. There's just like a lot of horror from last year. Yeah. It's just such a... Uh, a fertile fluvial plane of creation <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> are there any coming up what's what's next there's the one i can't think... find the trailer for it but it's a neon film inside uh something and she has like a glass jar like a demon inside i can't find the trailer on youtube for some reason but they played the trailer prior to i think it must have been evil dead rise it lives inside All right so it lives inside yep trailer for that looks fucking crazy oh this sounds this sounds peachy an indian american teenager struggling with her cultural identity as a falling uh-huh. out with her former best friend and in the process unwittingly releases a demonic entity that grows stronger by feeding on her loneliness and again one hour 39 perfect wrap it up there then tim goodbye everybody this is fun Looking forward to uh, the next one. Yeah, and specifically thank you to, uh, well, obviously, always Brussels, because we love you, Brussels. 
Oh, Brussels. And, uh, and also, anyone listening to us on YouTube, thank you very much. We appreciate you. Follow us. Subscribe. Because <laughs> <laughs> we get good retention, like at least 20%, which don't seem like a lot, but like we get 20%. So on, on a 1-200-view video, that's 40 people that watch the whole thing. You've watched our channel for the first time. You've literally watched the whole thing. How have you got to this point without subscription hasn't even crossed your mind like i've really enjoyed this i've watched the whole thing right come on do it touch it baby touch it uh, okay then uh, i'm matt probably the wrong end of the podcast to say that but that's who i am and now you know thank you very much for listening to us remember we are available on youtube as the end pod one shots you can find us as spank media and as the end on all your favorite listening locations, we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram as the end underscore pod. Thank you very much for listening to us. I hope you've had as much fun listening to us talk about films as we like talking about them and indeed watching them. So that's as ever only to be one thing to say. We have been, and this is the end. Very I good. Just to, I just have to trump. <laughs> 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 <laughs>